Welcome to another edition of Touring the AFC South. I am your host, Mike Patton. Thank you all for tuning in. If you're tuning in on Spotify, tuning in on Apple Podcasts, tuning in on iHeartRadio, wherever you're tuning in from, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you would like, go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes at those aforementioned places. And on Spotify, if you like what you hear, you can rate the show. And on Apple Podcasts, you can actually rate the show and leave a review. I thank you in advance. Now, on this episode, we have Mr. John Reed. After 34 years of sports writing, he is retiring. We're going to talk about his career. We're going to talk about the team he last covered, the Jacksonville Jaguars and more. That's coming up a little later in the show. But up first, we're going to have the Get It Off Your Chest segment. And we're going to be talking about Mr. Kyler Murray. Now, plenty was made of him scrubbing the Arizona Cardinals off his social media and potentially talking about not showing up at camp, things like that, about a new contract that he wanted. Some thought he, they wouldn't pay it, the Arizona Cardinals. Some thought the Arizona Cardinals would. Well, went back and forth, and eventually he got his money. A $230.5 million contract with $130 million guaranteed. Sounds great. Sounds like everybody's happy, right? Well, apparently... There is some clauses in the contract that's raising the eyebrows of a lot of different people. That one particular contract, oh, excuse me, stipulation in the contract is Kyler Murray during game weeks has to require, is required, I'm sorry, to have four hours of independent study. This is per game week. Independent studies needs, need to have, needs to have four hours of it per game week. That figures out to be literally about mm, an hour or a little under an hour from game to game. Take from it what you will. But I find it interesting that they put that in his contract. And then basically, if he doesn't reach it, he would be deemed in default of his contract. Now, this is uninterrupted time, basically, meaning no television, video games or browsing the Internet, just strictly studying film now i find this quite interesting because it basically is it, it, it's just interesting in two ways that they even had to put this in a contract is quite interesting because you're the quarterback of the team you're supposed to be able to study you're supposed to know your playbook you're supposed to know uh the other team's tendencies as well against you as you know what you can and can't do against those specific specific defenses. Well, the need for them to put this in there telling me tells me that he wasn't necessarily 
doing those kinds of studying or creating good studying habits for them to even have to put this in a contract or even stipulate this in a contract, which was quite interesting in its own right. So now, you know, of course, he's going to be remembered for having this in his contract. And this stipulation is going to haunt him for not only now where people are talking about it, but for probably the rest of his career. Let me explain. The reason why I say that is because any little mistake or any game where he just doesn't seem like Kyler Murray, people are going to come back to this moment. They're going to come back to this contract. They're going to talk about him studying or, or and things like that, and they're going to talk about his love for the game. Now, no one professes to talk to Kyler except for his teammates, the reporters that ask him questions, perhaps, and his coaches and his family. That's pretty much it. But there's always going to be those assumptions that maybe he didn't study. Maybe he didn't do this. Maybe he didn't do that. Those are going to be out there literally for this entire career, to be honest. And, you know, at times I, I understand when things happen and when people are painted a certain way. And, of course, they can't escape uh, the, the things, the reason, the, the ways that they are painted. But in other instances, sometimes it can be unfairly put upon a person. For example, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is a guy that, you know, no matter what he does, if he does something great, of course, you you know, it's not mentioned quite as much, but if he fails or something happens with his offense, of course, everyone goes back to the Bill Polian comment about him being a running quarterback or that or basically needing to be switched to receiver, what Bill Polian said. Um, now, honestly, I get where some people are stuck with labels and things like that for the rest of their lives or rest of their careers, because in some instances, when they do something over and over again, they've kind of become what people have either said they were or assumed they were or saw based on the facts. But you got to also remember that the only parties that know Kyler are, are his coaches, his teammates, again, his family, coaches, teammates, families, and reporters really don't know him very much. So, of course, you know, I, I hope that this does not stick with him, his career. I hope that he does take advantage of this opportunity. I hope he gets where this isn't even talked about anymore. But unfortunately, this is going to follow him. And, of course, people are going to question his commitment to his team, if he really wants to win. All those type of things are probably going to be questioned because of this contract and the stipulation in it. I hope Kyler Murray succeeds, but this one right here going to be hard to shake, my man. It's definitely going to be hard to shake. That's been my Get It Off Your Chest segment for this episode. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, You'll hear my conversation with John Reed. You've been listening to Touring the AFC South with your host, Mike Patton. We'll be right back. Going through some things and not quite sure who to turn to? Well, let me tell you about Peace of Mind Counseling and Life Coaching. They offer services ranging from mental health counseling, parenting classes, 
life coaching services, therapy, alcohol and drug assessments, and so much more. And all the services are monitored by licensed supervisors. Also, they're currently offering free consultations for counseling or life coaching. All you need to do to get started is reach out to them online at www.peacemindclc.com or give them a call at 615-930-1230 to get started. Again, you can reach out to them online at www.peacemindclc.com or give them a call at 615-930-1230. So if you feel you need to talk to someone or know someone that needs to talk to someone, Take the time to reach out to Peace of Mind Counseling and Life Coaching, where the motto is, it costs you your peace of mind, then it is too expensive. Welcome back to Touring the AFC South. I'm your host, Mike Patton. And of course, for those that don't know, I do a podcast, this podcast, and of course, I produce it as well. And I also am a freelance journalist. My guest for this episode is decided he has made it a career. <laughs> he is he is time to, is time to change his focus. That would be Mr. John Reed after thirty plus years of being a sports writer. Mr. John Reed, welcome to the show. How you doing? Glad to be on here, uh, Mike. Yeah, 34 years, man. That's a long time, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. You know, when you make a decision like that, you got to make sure it's the right decision. And I, I've had long thoughts, long thoughts with my family. And I actually been putting this in the works since like uh, the end of 218. So I have no regrets, man. Once I make a decision, I don't go back and look back and Oh, I should have did it this way, or I should have did it that way. So it's out of my soul. I'll never write another newspaper story ever again. I hear you. I hear you. Well, you leave it to us to pick up, man, and we definitely appreciate all the groundwork that you laid down. Uh, 30 plus years, 34 years, like you said, of uh, writing. Not all of it was in Jacksonville, everyone who's, who's, uh, who's listening. There was some of that that was actually in uh, in, of course, uh, New Orleans as well. Well, 24 years of it was in New Orleans. <laughs> and let me say this, Mike. You know, I wasn't one of these reporters. I mean, I went to a small college. I started in the business at a small newspaper. I think I, I worked at the Monroe News Star. Mm-hmm. And I think our circulation in 1987 was probably about 40, about 40,000, 45,000 circulation. And when I look back on my career, I still say those three years in that little small town where football was everything. It was the same town I went to school for college. I think I got more out of that three years experience than any other thing. We had Grambling that was about 25 miles to the west. We had Louisiana Tech and we had um, at that time Northeast Louisiana University. And we had a sports staff people. And I had a sports editor at that time who just say, Hey, if you was if if you was um serious about your craft and you wanted to learn by experience, he didn't have any problem on, on you going out getting stories. And I can remember like my first time I ever 
did an interview with Eddie Robinson and I was nervous and and I, I can I can still recall a day that he had this chicken. It was like this chicken shack. It was it was a chicken restaurant, basically, fried chicken restaurant. And I can remember, man, when he just he said, Let's go, let's go to lunch. You know, before anything, the talking and first time experience, never met, never met him in my in my life before that day. And he just made everything feel at ease. You know, he know I was a young reporter. And ever since that that one meeting, you know, he he is always was was a friend of mine until his death. And that's and that's what this business is all about. It's about relationships, it's about friendship. Like your situation, I mean, I see you as a young, up-and-coming, um, you know, doing podcasts and doing freelance, and and, and you know when you see talent, and um, you have talent, and you, and that's what you, that's what this business is all about, man. You grow is is just like sprouting a, you know, a branch in a, a tree, and it's just it continue to grow, and um, you know. I don't look back. Like I say, I mean, I, I mean, from the friendships, from coaches to, you know, good experiences, bad experiences, you know, it was all part of that in those 34 years, man. But, um, you know, when you get my age, I just turned 58. It's just a, you know, it, it was just a calling that it's time to do something else to try to make an impact and try to make the same type of, you know, you put the same type of work ethic in something else. Because I want to accomplish something else in my life before I really retire. <laughs> <laughs> totally understandable. Totally understandable. And, and you know, I, I have to say thank you again for for actually uh, taking the time to actually you know come on my podcast, actually mm -hmm. being a guest, actually providing great information. Because of course, I know you didn't have to do that. You you didn't know me from uh, a man on the moon. But you actually trusted in the vision that I had for the show and just trusted in the uh, the care and the, the production that I had for this show. And, and I got to ultimately thank you for that, because you were one of the first people that actually decided to come on my show and actually provide information and actually witness eyewitness account information from mm -hmm. what you were seeing. So I, I can definitely appreciate that. And I wanted to thank you for that, uh, you know, definitely before we kind of get on the show. Uh, no problem, Mike. But, but that's what it's all about, man, especially for young black reporters. I mean, the same hand that I mean, I can remember, you know, my first experience, you know, like I went to a NABJ convention for the first time in St. Louis back in like 1992. Didn't know nobody there. But there was a, um, a reporter um, named Ron Thomas. <laughs> And, you know, just just the encouraging words, man, you know, just, hey, you know, he, oh, you in the business, you know, give me tips on what I needed to do and those kind of things. And that's what it's all about is brotherhood is is helping the other man. And just, um, you know, it, that's the kind of thing that has to continue in, in this business because it's a changing business. That's correct. That's correct. Now, of course, we didn't get into it, but I got to ask. How did you kind of get started in journalism? Where did that that itch kind of come about for you? Well, this <laughs> I wanted to be a sports writer from the time I was in sixth grade. I actually wrote a book report on Casey Stengel. I mean, I wrote it, and I, you know, I I really had a love for baseball. My father 
loved baseball and I just I was in a house where sports was everything. And I don't know, man. I just thought that when I was like 11, 10, 10, 10, 11 year old, like any other kid, I wanted to be a football player and that kind of thing. But I just felt that, you know, I want to get to the, to this writing thing. You know, I just wanted to, um, you know, my father was a, a was a was a person who always subscribed to the newspaper. Was always thrown on our front door, and you know, I always read the sports pages. And, um, you know, I had my favorite guys here in Jacksonville that I used to read. And I just, I mean, I went from um, that to to the sports editor of my high school paper. I went to college. I was on the sports staff at my college. And and it's just, it, it, it was a love, man. It was just a love of trying to, you know, have my own voice, so to speak, you know, and, and, and writing was hard. You know, a lot of, I ain't going to sit here like a lot of people say, you know, it's a natural gift. Writing was hard for me. It, it, it really was. It was early on in my career. You know, it was uh, writing stories on deadline, going to the high school football game, coming back. You know, you had to compile all your stats and all that stuff and it was it, it, it took a labor of love to reach <laughs> from where i started at to where i ended up at but you know like i said mike earlier man i had a lot of people who um who steered me in direction i mean i had a tough editor named don hudson and he's up in um at the news day and uh, up there in new york and he was blunt, man. He, you know, he, you know, he said, if you, <laughs> you know, that that's not telling me nothing, you know, or you got too many words when you can, you can, you, you can say it in eight and you saying it in 14. And man, it was sometimes he was, his criticism was so harsh. It's like, I go home, like, I just throw my hands up in the air. Like, man, like, I don't know if this business is right for me. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll kick, kick you a little bit too tough, but then he'll come back the next day and just, you know, I mean, and he was a friend. He's been a friend for life, you know, and that's what it takes, man. It takes a lot of, you know, you have to, um, in order to succeed in anything, you got to have some failure. <laughs> and I experienced some some failure early on. You know, it was it was tough writing on deadline and those things. And um, but just just the love of um of journalism is what steered me into it. And then just um once I got into it, just trying to get better at the craft. And that's you know that's the putting in the long hours and reading the, what the top people wrote and, and seeing how they wrote it, watching something on television, a game, and then maybe reading the New York Times or LA Times and, you know, those big, big, big time newspapers and seeing how they, how they wrote that game story and just learning, man, learning how to develop my own, my own voice and my own, um, you know, I always thought that writing feature stories was the hardest thing. But, you know, just going to, you know, writing stories on people and letting them, letting their story tell the story, if that makes any sense. You know, and that that's something that you have to just learn over the years. I think the hardest thing for young reporters is, is that they're so hard trying to, to break the news story and it. It's so hard to try to set your mark to 
to you know you you want to you want to be something that set yourself apart but you know the easiest thing is to do is just try to be what's what you do best and that's your voice you know how you tell tell the story everybody can write a game story but how's yours going to be different than a hundred others <laughs> right <laughs> that's, right that's right. the thing you develop over time right and um you know of course like you mentioned you you definitely are a uh are a veteran veteran mm -hmm. sports writer but i gotta ask of course how long uh uh what, what are some of your 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 more memorable stories on the good side man there's so many memorable stories i <laughs> i i can go back my first year covering the nba i was new orleans we, we actually started covering the Charlotte Hornets that final year when they're in in um in Charlotte before the relocation to New Orleans and we would go up to you know we'll basically go cover I think like the final month of the season we we covered them full time you know I would go back and forth from New Orleans when they went on the road but that same year they allowed me to go cover the uh the NBA Finals, and I, that year that was the, um, the Lakers was was playing the um, New Jersey Nets. First time in LA, <laughs> first time you know. I mean, I only saw Kobe and Shaq on television and all that kind of stuff, and just you know, going out there meeting reporters. Um, just I, I mean, I, I can still recall just. You know, we all lined up at the practice facility in El Segundo where the Lakers was practicing at, and then we lining up to get into the practice and we're standing out there on the all all the reporters lined around the court and it's like the final, I don't know, maybe about the final 15, 20 minutes of practice. And just seeing, you know, I mean, seeing Kobe and Shaq and those guys out there, and then we go like a herd of cattle, we 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 go up to the podiums where they're standing and talking. And just um, you know, just I mean that 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 made me feel like you know, hey, I mean these guys are not much different than what you see on television. You know, they got a human side. They're gonna answer the questions that they want to answer. <laughs> They're they gonna play around at practice. You know, mm -hmm. and 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 that was just something that made me feel like, man, you know, they they ain't no different than anybody else. They. They, they're not these super superheroes that you think they are on television. But, right. you know, I, I mean, I, I really feel, you know, covering NFL five years and covering NBA 15 years, you know, obviously my love was a little more for the NBA than it was for the NFL and, and the Jaguars. And just experiences, I mean, you know, I think the toughest thing in my career was when Katrina came in New Orleans. I was, um, I went to Austin, Texas. I was with my girlfriend at that time to evacuate because we couldn't get into one of the shelters in Houston. And we wound up being in Austin. And I, we, we were stuck in Austin for almost a, a month, like three weeks. And then when I came back, <laughs> you know, I had a meeting with my sports editor. And he, you know, he said that we we're still going to cover the team. But the problem was that. I had like about 10 days in New Orleans before I was summoned to go to Oklahoma City to cover the team for training camp. And it's just, I mean, I still wow. remember 
you know, we had to drive, you know, we, they, they wasn't going to rent a car. They wasn't going to rent a car for us for that amount of time. Cause I had to be there for the first month of the season. And I just remember driving Oklahoma city. Like, man, I'm looking around like, man, I don't know where in the world I'm at. I ain't never been in this part of the country before in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it was about as different as it could possibly be from what new Orleans was. You know, even though New Orleans took took a you know took a blow and was trying to recover and that kind of thing, but that was probably the hardest two years I ever had in my life. And I and I say it now that if I was in that situation now, obviously I got a wife and a family and all that. I don't think I would have made that sacrifice, but we, we, I did. You know, I wanted to continue to do what I did, and. Um, Man, he just <laughs> man, we had two guys on the beat and there would be for one month we have one guy in Oklahoma City for one month to cover the games that, in Oklahoma City, then we'd have the other reporter in New Orleans, and he would be the go the guy that go on the road games. And then when the month switched around, I would come back, drive back to New Orleans, he would drive to Oklahoma City, and then we did that the whole season. <laughs> wow and i almost got out of the business at that time but you know i was you know when you're young you 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 see the benefits of um you know trying to make your mark trying to set your set yourself apart and that kind of thing and i stuck with it but but you know that experience probably you know for us Make you know trying. I mean, a lot of times you look back on your career, like you, you look back on some of the things that you, what, what made you better, what mm-hmm. what what made you be a better reporter, what made you improve. And during that two years, there was so much news going on. If the team going to come back to New Orleans, if they're going to stay, we had an owner George Sheen would tell the. The folks in Oklahoma City, one thing, then tell the reporters in New Orleans and the people in New Orleans something else. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> at that time, you know, we, you know, had a, you know, basically formed a relationship with with the commissioner, you know, with David Stern, who, you know, at that time, you knew that if anything was going to happen, it was going to have to go through him. And he was like the, the most honest person throughout the whole situation and and, at the, and never did he waver from what he said that that mm-hmm. team is not being they're not going to be permanently playing in Oklahoma City. <laughs> right, right, right. Now for those that have checked out my picture, my new picture for my, you know, graphics for my podcast, you can tell I have a new image, an updated image. A professional looking image. It's time for you to take control of your image. And you can take control of your professional image with a fresh set of headshots by the good folks of Joshua Silvers Photography. Let Josh at Joshua Silvers Photography handle your personal branding, business headshots, portrait, or any other photographic need with great pricing and even better quality. You can reach him via phone at 423 423- five five seven six seven four six once again that's four two three five five seven six seven four six you can also reach him at instagram at 
Joshua Silver's photography. Or you can reach him on Facebook. Call Joshua Silver's photography and get yourself booked today. I know I did. And he's got me looking great. Oh, <clears throat> now, of course, you know, definitely was was good to kind of visit, you know, your your uh, career and come with some of the, the high points and the, uh, the the difficult points and some of the, the good times and the bad times. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, this is touring the AFC South. and We do have to talk about those Jacksonville Jaguars, at least a little bit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a course, fan now, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I, I want to ask, uh, what were your feelings uh, on the free agency spending they did? I mean, you're giving Christian Kirk that money. You're giving Zay Jones. You're bringing in Evan Ingram for one year and $10 million. You're bringing in Oquan over from uh, – Atlanta Falcons, and then you get rid of uh, uh, Jack in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you brought in a lot of different guys. Bringing Brandon Sheriff, I got to mention him, of course. Yeah. And then you get your running backs back. I mean, what did you think of all that spending? Do you think they were just trying to throw up a front like they were doing something, or do you think that was with strategic moves? Well, I, I thought a little bit of strategic move, but also – they had to overspend. I mean, they, they're a franchise at that, you know, when you look back over the previous season, three wins, you got a new coach coming in, and basically they were rock bottom. And they had to do something to basically change the narrative, sort of to try to help change the narrative, which is I think that was a big part in trying to spend the money. <clears throat> you know, when you look back on that Christian Kirk deal, I mean – was it wise to spend that amount of money for a guy who never been a number one receiver? Well, time would tell on that, you know, because basically he did set the market for wide receivers, but they they needed something to say we got to bring in more talent, basically, you know. And I don't, and, and you know, with a situation like the Jaguars, that. Um, it's nothing wrong with spending money in a free agency, but you got to make sure that you spend your money in the right way. I will say this. I thought that they addressed needs and in, 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 I thought they did overspend, but I thought that when they went out and, and, and try to acquire talent, they did acquire the talent in the areas that was the weak points on that football team from the previous season. But I also feel at this point, you spent all that money on Christian Kirk, but I still think you got to get an outside receiver. I, I felt, I felt they should have drafted one, even though mm-hmm. Christian Kirk is a, you know, he's, he, he can make plays, but he plays in the slot. And, um, and the Jay Jones, I'm a little, I was a little surprised by that. Because um, plays in the slot too. Yeah, for the money that they spent, I thought they could have spent a little. Probably could have got something a little more upgraded with with that. Yeah. But I'm I'm impressed with their defense, though. I think okay. they made the right moves on defense, particularly at that linebacker position. Mm-hmm. But overall. I'm not a Trent Balky fan, and I say it on record. <laughs> <laughs> and time, time will tell. You know, I, 
I thought that um, maybe they should have addressed the offensive line a little bit more in the draft than just, you know, you you bring in Brandon Sheriff and that's it. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, time and time will tell if that's a mistake or not also. But uh, they, they did I something the center, they had to make. I, I just felt they had to make big splash moves. They didn't do it the year ago with Urban Meyer. They talked a lot. They didn't do enough. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a guy like Evan Ingram going to help him, you know, even though he's not this prototypical tight end, he's a guy that can get open. So, you know, like you said, $10 million one year, most teams probably wouldn't pay him that for a one-year deal. But I think he might be one of the biggest coops that they got in free agency because I think he may have a bigger impact than Christian Kirk. Same, same. I definitely think he will. And now, now I, I will say they did draft the center uh, this year, yeah. so I think he may end up being the starter for him. So they did kind yeah, he's of. He's already started, Mike. <laughs> he's already starting that center, and they've got Tyler Shatley playing that left left guard. So what? Okay. Luke Fortman is for for two days. He's been working with the one, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I hear you there. Now, of course, with this team, of course, there, there's better expectations, I should say. Uh, you know, well, better, better, better optimism. I don't optimism. know. Optimism. There we go. That's the word. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for. I, could, I couldn't find it, and you, you found it for me in true yeah. writer fashion. But, um, you know, of course, you know, they have Trayvon Walker and they have Josh Allen. Now, I've been on record to say that. These two could potentially, you know, and I and I definitely took a cue from you, John, that <laughs> these two could potentially both get double double figure sacks this year and become potentially one of the the best uh, outside linebacker duos in the NFL potentially. Now, the word is potentially, y'all. So don't don't get too wrapped up in what I said. I said potentially, but yeah. what are your thoughts on those two as a combination? I like it, man. I mean, I I I mean, they looked the apart. <laughs> <laughs> say that. They look physical. That's, that's half the battle, right? Yeah, that's half the battle. And, and you know, I, I just, I mean, I like I said, I went to Thomas Thomasville, Georgia, two months ago. Came away impressed about this about Trayvon Walker, man. I think he's somebody that you did not see the total package when he was at Georgia. I think you're going to see the total package. Maybe not so much his rookie year. I mean, I think he's going to make plays. But when you're talking about having two anchor guys on each side, I think you can do a lot with that. And let's let's face it. I mean, Josh Allen has to have a consistent season. I mean, I think it's a lot more pressure on Josh Allen than it is on Trayvon Walker, even though he's the number one pick. You know, the thing on Josh is that, you know, man, he, you know, a lot of people go back to the Buffalo game and he had a great game. He had a great performance. And then you go every game after that and he, you can barely notice him on the field. (laughs) (laughs) But a combination guy, you know, they could go back to the 217 uh, season, you know, when they, when they had all those sacks, you know, 51 sacks or whatever it was, but I, I like the combination, though. I, I I think you help yourself when you got two physical guys. I think you help yourself 
when you can maneuver, I mean, you could do a lot of different sub packages. You could, you could, you could, you with, with having a guy like Trayvon Walker standing up, you know, you could, you could move him whatever side you can. You, I mean, I, I think he's, I think he's going to be difficult to block to be honest. And I just think he's a physical presence. I saw it during all the off season program and you know, the pads come on Sunday <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see a whole lot more when the pads come on. But I think, I think the Jaguars got it right. Now I didn't say that during draft night and all that, but from what I've seen through the off-season program, seeing what this kid background is, I think that he's gonna be a, a player who's gonna, you know. He's going to develop into something special, I, I, I feel. And they need it. I mean, you you got to have a number one pick who live up. And, you know, he's going to be compared for the rest of his career to Aiden Hutchinson. There's no doubt about that. But I think when you look back, if, if he has five sacks and Aiden Hutchinson has 11, I don't think that's going to be the judge. That'd be a lot of chatter during the rookie season, but I think when you look at both these guys' careers, I think that Trayvon Walker going to turn out to be the better pro. And for Jacksonville purposes, that's a good thing. But I, I think they got a good combination there to take some of the pressure off of Josh Allen. You're going to have to double-team one or both of them. And I just think that helps. And, and, and I like the defense. Like I said, I like their front seven. I like the defensive coordinator. I like I like Mike Caldwell. I think he's a guy with a plan. I think he's a guy that's going to put in a whole lot of different packages. And I think finally you're going to see a Jaguar defense who makes the opposing team call a timeout because they're confused about the what alignment that the defense is in. I ain't seen that in three years. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so, definitely, uh, definitely something to think about. They're definitely, uh, you know, two guys. And now uh, my, my previous guest, uh, Danny Thompson, was talking about potentially putting both of them on one side and kind of doing that too. So that's I another would. option. Now, yeah, I, now I do uh, want to get to uh, the tour in the AFC South inbox. Of course, we have Corey Jackson Sr. said, Walker is a stud. Go dogs. Of course, you can't tell he's a Georgia fan. <laughs> but uh, uh, <laughs> then, of course, you have uh, Hern P. commented from over on uh, over – uh, YouTube says, keep Walker away from the left-hand side of the Tennessee line. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I'm looking forward to that Tennessee game because you know what? Now, I know you Nashville is, you know, I'm a, I'm a truth teller. You know, the Jaguars have always tried to be that physical team. They've always tried to emulate what the Titans do, to be that physical, particularly on the defense side. And even in that 217 season, the Jaguars just don't physically match up with the Titans. Now, maybe they got a defense this year <laughs> that can <laughs> physically match up. And maybe they got some linebackers who physical enough that they won't get stiff on 20 yards down the field. <laughs> by, you, by you know that Yuli Bulldozer, but <laughs> but I the think they're obviously setting okay. their their set. They they want to be that physical defensive team, and and they've setting their sights. I think they built this team around stopping the run. So mm -hmm. can they accomplish it? 
We'll see. But I think they put in more pieces to get it done. I hear you there. Now, um, <laughs> you know, as far as the, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I will say that as far as defensively, I have compared them to a donut more than a few times. Now, <laughs> this is why this is for those that aren't aware. I've said this analogy a few times. I don't know if I've said it on my own show, but I've said it that basically they're solid on the outside, but in the inside, they're either soft or nothing has been there. Yeah. This year, I'm not sure if I can necessarily say that, but I still got I still withhold the donut for them right now. So I'm gonna keep that one there for right now. We're gonna see what happens. We're gonna flip over to the offense real quick. Of course, Trevor Lawrence didn't have the rookie year that he thought. Of course, he didn't have the head coach he thought he was going to have mm-hmm. at Urban Meyer. That's another story for another day. But, of course, now he has Doug Peterson stepping in, being the head coach. Do you think that Trevor Lawrence – I've got I've got him for like 25 touchdown passes this year. Some people said I was crazy. Some people said I was like, you know, that's too low. So, But, you know, hey, it, different, different ideas for different people. Um, do you think that – Trevor Lawrence takes that step this year to maybe kind of give that Jacksonville offense an identity, or do you think it's somebody else with the offense that helps do it, do that? Well, he's got to take that next step. But as I've said in the spring, do they have the offensive line that going to allow him to take that next step up, you know? And I think that's what it centers around. I mean, you can't have your quarterback getting chased out the pocket. You can't have him rushing throws. I do like some of the pieces that they have that finally I think he has a season where he can actually complete check check down pass. I mean, he can get the ball to the tight ends. I mean, I, I think they helped themselves at the tight end spot. But like I said earlier, man, I I would, would have liked for them to go out in that wide receiver spot and get a big physical outside receiver with speed. And I don't think he has that, you know. I, I mean, I, I think he's he has a good group of receivers, but I don't think he's got a breakaway guy with speed where he can get that ball downfield and get, get take shots downfield and get it in the end zone. But um, I, I I feel that he's going to have a, a much better season than he did a year ago. I mean, he has to. I mean, <laughs> I mean everything is – is riding on on this kid again. I don't think you see him complete fifty nine percent of his passes, throw seventeen interceptions, and that stuff. But I do feel that they got to protect him. You know, I, I mean that's essential. And then I think you got to utilize a running back like Travis Etienne. I mean, whether you run him out of the backfield, I think you got to take advantage of what he brings to the table on that offensive end. And um, I I just feel he's got more weapons. Now, I don't think there's enough weapons for them to overtake the division or anything like that, but I think there's enough weapons on that football team where they can at least be respectable, you know, play respectable, don't always play from behind. And just bring excitement. You know, you can't have excitement when you average 14 points a game. So right. I, I think you got a, enough talent around him this year where you can at least be in the ball game and average, average at least three, you know, like 26, 27 points a game or something like that. 
I think if they do that, he's taking that next jump. But I, I don't think you really see a real, the, the, I mean, the real Trevor until year three. I, I still think they got to add pieces. And I'm a big believer that you don't go three and 14 and make the playoffs. You know, you don't go one and 15, three and 14, and all of a sudden you're in the playoffs. I, I know Doug Peterson is a step ahead of what Urban Meyer was. I think defensively they're going to be better. Offensively, I, I, I think they still got some holes on their offensive line, and they and I don't think they got a, a guy that no matter what can get open on the outside. And once they address those needs, then they'd be – I think in year three he'll be a much better quarterback than he'll be in year two. But he will be better than what he was his rookie season. Will definitely be something uh well, that will definitely be something to, to pay attention to and watch definitely this year and uh of course the uh relationship between peterson and yeah. trevor lawrence now of course we have come to the end of the show but the end of the show doesn't mean the end of the show that means we got a game to play now <laughs> i've got five questions for you mr john reed are you ready yeah i guess so <laughs> All right, we're going to do a little New Orleans and uh, Jacksonville kind of uh, flavor to this one. All right. Marcus Lattimore or Jalen Ramsey? You got to pick one corner. Who you taking? Nah, I got to pick Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely does everything, I, I got to say. Yeah. He can play different positions, too. Yeah, he's talent, man. There ain't no question about that. Lattimore talent, too, but I put my money on Jalen. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Who is from from Nashville, by the way? We, you know, we we, oh, you know, we we do we do got we do got John Henderson that was from Nashville that played for the played for the Jaguars. Too. Yeah, the guy who yeah, the, yeah, the, yes, <laughs> took the slap to the face before he played every game. Yeah. I don't know how he did it. I but, don't know. Uh, they need to get him back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Now I've got Duval or five oh four. Which one you gonna take? If you gotta take one place, Duval or five hundred four? Duval, gotta okay. go with that Duval. <laughs> all right, all right. Fred Taylor or Deuce McAllister? Oh man, I'm a Fred Taylor guy. <laughs> okay, that Deuce was go. good, but Fred, hands all down. Right. All right. Now this one you ought to get a little bit of a kick out of clowns or bags over their faces. Which one <laughs> would you take? You know, because of course you know Jacksonville had the clowns uh, in in the last game of the season down there versus uh, versus the Colts that the fans were dressed like clowns, and then bags over their faces is is in uh, Saints when they were the Aints. So, which one you got? Gotta go with the original, man. Gotta go with the bags. <laughs> <laughs> you go with the clown movement, it didn't work, man. Trent Bulk is still back as the GM, so that was a fail. <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the bags got national um, attention. Well, yeah, he gave him a nickname the Aints. <laughs> so, um, now, of course, the last one we're going straight to Oilers with. We're going a beignet or a po' boy. <laughs> oh man! Well, that's the hardest question of them all. Then <laughs> they both good. <laughs> I tell you what, during my time in New Orleans, I think I had more cat. I mean, I had more shrimp po' boys than I had beignets. 
So I go with the um, shrimp po' boys. All right, all right. Yeah, I definitely had a po' boy when I was down there in New Orleans. You know, <laughs> man, man, magical. <laughs> a place on Broad Street. It ain't in downtown where all the tourist spots at. But boy, I used to hit that spot a couple of times during the week for lunch. And excellent. <laughs> if man. I ever go back to the, the, the NO again, I'll be back at my shop, man. All right. All right. Now that is the, it concludes the game. That concludes the show. Uh, Mr. John Reed, again, I want to say thank you for taking a chance and believing in me and actually coming on my show and, and regularly coming on my show to talk about the Jaguars. I, I wish you well in your next career. And, uh, you know, if you want to, Tell everyone what you're working on in your next career, and if people want to contact you on social media, hey, give them that too if you like. Well, I'll tell you this, Mike. If you in Jacksonville, I might have you come speak to my class with my students there. I'm, I'm going to be teaching ninth and 10th grade at Social Science. Okay. Yeah, the charter school called Horizon Institute, man, and um, that's my next endeavor. I want to give back. I want to be a role model to these kids. I mean, and, you know, these kids here are just, you know, some of them at risk kids and um, and they need role models, you know, in a tough area of Jacksonville. You know, a lot of things going on in that community. And, um, you know, we we have to be in this mindset, man, that what we do, you know, somebody always looking at what you do. So, you know, that's that's my next journey. You know, I want to give back. I want to help young men, young black men. I want them to have, you know, see, 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 see the future that they may not see, but help them see it, you know, and 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 lead them to 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 that direction. And um, you know, our youth right now, man, a lot of people don't don't understand, and they 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 hard to figure out. But you know, that's when we have to step in and try to to lead them in the right way. And that's what I'm gonna try to. That's my next journey. That's the that's where I'm going to put my efforts in. Well, I definitely uh, look forward to watching that journey and everything you have going on. Uh, again, it has been such a pleasure talking to you about Jacksonville and you giving me the 100% unadulterated truth about the Jacksonville Jaguars and how you see it in your eyes. And I, I greatly appreciate it. I thank everyone for tuning in. You've been uh, tuned in to Touring the ASC South with your host, Mike Patton. We're out.